Welcome to our final week of our series, Dear Church. Has this been a good series for you? Because it's been hard. I can tell you, I'm glad you're excited because it's been painful. You know, there's been a lot of hard things to walk through and to listen and be challenged by, but oftentimes the things that challenge us is actually what makes us most most effective and best in him. Seven weeks ago, for example, we started with a completely different picture of Jesus, didn't we? Uh, and this was the picture. And so this is Revelation chapter one. Yeah, more out of the Lord of the Rings and the, the, the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus that we like to celebrate on Christmas and uh, even different than the one that we see from the chosen. So uh, just a little idea and a little picture and in that it had great meaning. And the one thing that I wanted you to walk away with from that first week that we've hit every week, I'm gonna hit it one last time, is that Jesus calls us, if you're a follower of Christ, a priest. And most of the time we don't think of ourselves as that. But he says, literally, uh, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God and, and his Father. And the three things that we've emphasized over these last six weeks is new habits in our lives is that priests bring sacrifices to God. That's what we understand from our understanding of what priests do. Well, what's that sacrifice? He says, your body and your lives are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. So we're saying, God, here's my life, use me. And then secondly, priests bring a sacrifice of praise. So instead of killing animals as sacrifice, we come and we get to worship God, and that is an offering that we get to bring to him. Secondly, if you're a follower of Christ, priests go to God on behalf of others. So regularly, are you praying for the needs of others in addition to praying for the things that are going on in your life? So every week, I want to continue to encourage you, as long as you call Valley Real Life your home, that you're also putting in a prayer requests for somebody else. That you're just saying, I'm going to pray for this person, lead this person, guide this person, help this person. You know, and I hope that you're joining me and continuing to pray for the Jensen family. You know, as a part of our congregation, you know, we love them so much. And uh, they're just going through just a hard, hard, horrific, horrific experience. And so um, please keep praying. Please find ways to support and come alongside them. Uh, thirdly, priests. Go to others on behalf of God in word and deed, meaning that we are here to represent Jesus. We can't bring anybody to Jesus, but he asks us to share good news. And that's what priests are supposed to do is bring good news in wherever you may live, wherever you may work. And so I just want to remind you of that. And so with that as the backdrop, we've looked at these seven churches, well, six of them, you know, from modern day Turkey called Asia Minor. And here's what we've looked at. These are these different churches, and the one we're going to end with is Laodicea. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard of some of what we're going to talk about today, but I hope it's going to open up uh, an understanding of why Jesus mentioned what he did. Now, I want you to pay attention, because this, is, this map is helpful. I want you to notice just above Laodicea is Heropolis, just below is Colossae. And so uh, those are going to come into play in just a minute because it explains what Jesus is about to tell us. So as always, uh, I'm going to tell you some background of the city and then we're going to talk about the church in which Jesus writes to. So uh, this place, uh, the excavation of this place is amazing. Uh, it, it, you, can, you, can, you can walk to, into these places like this, and you can walk on the streets there. It's, it's, uh, it's done a, just an amazing excavation. Those are some of the pictures that I took while there. Uh, second rivaled only to Ephesus. So a lot of stuff has been unearthed at, Laodice at Laodicea. Um, second thing is uh, Laodicea was famous for medical care especially when it came to the eyes, the eyes. In fact, there are reports of successful cataract surgeries performed in the hospital you know, of Laodicea under Roman rule. So you can research that on your own. And also they were known for their eye ointment for any eye infections and diseases through the salve that they actually produced. In fact, it was so unique based on the minerals that were found in and around that they held the recipe under lock and key so that other people in the world had to come to them, which provided what? Great resource 
for them and their city because of this great ice solution. Like Sardis, Laodicea was well known for their clothing line. But unlike Sardis, uh, they were more about fashion than just the basic clothing, specifically raven black wool. And it really was uh, very similar to uh, the leather jackets that we wore in the 90s. And so very similar to those things. See, fashions keep coming around from time to time. Because they were so fashionly oriented, it became a lucrative business for Laodicea. Because of those incredible businesses, they actually became the banking center of the region. And so people would come from all over the known world to get loans through Laodicea, and the common currency in their banks were gold. Okay, so that's going to come into play in just a second as well. Now, because of the banking industry, because of their fashion, and because of their medical industry, the city was probably the the most well-off financially city of all of the cities that we've looked at, one of the top in the Roman Empire. And so with that being said, let me give you an idea how how incredibly wealthy the city was. In AD 60, the, the city was decimated by an earthquake. Rome saw the value of Laodicea, so they said, we will then give you a loan or we will give you money to build up your city again. And they said, we don't need it. We have enough money on our own, Rome. We are going to actually say no to your prov- for what you're going to provide, and we, we're going to build this up ourselves. We don't need you. So it just kind of gives you an idea of the understanding of this city. Now, they did have one major flaw if you chose to vacation or live in Laodicea, and it was it's water, okay, it's water. Did not have good access, did not have good connection you know, to water. Now, it was five miles away from a sister city called Heropolis. Now, Heropolis was famous for its hot springs, which are still there today. And so I took this little video you know, for you to be able to see these springs you know, uh, are a natural spa since the second century B.C., now, Romans, just like Americans, we love our spas, and so we love the, 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 the bathhouses that they, they actually put in, the leisurely soaking in the hot water. Uh, they also were used for healing properties, you know, for these rich mineral waters. Now, on the other side, you know, of Laodicea, only 10 miles away, uh, was the city of Colossae. Now, I can just tell you, I was so excited, probably between Ephesus and Colossae, to visit that city, because I was just like, Oh my gosh, there's so much in our Bible because the book of Colossians was written to this place in Colossae. So I was like, I cannot wait to get there and see what this is all about. And so we get to the place and we get out of our, our, our tour place and this is what I saw. There it is, people. There is Colossae because it is underground. It has not been excavated yet. They're actually just beginning, as of two years ago, the process of excavating Colossae. So it was a, wah, wah. It was a major disappointment. But one of the reasons, I'm like, why are you even bringing us here? If this is all there there was. He goes, well, one of the reasons is because I want you to try the water. Because the water comes fresh from the mountains. And so we took our water bottles and we filled them up there. It was pure. It was so refreshing. It was so cold. It was ice cold. And it was like an 85 degree day. And so it was just amazing. And so he goes, I want you to have this picture because the Laodiceans thought to themselves, we don't have good access to water. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the best of both worlds. We have so much money. We're going to build aqueducts, and we're going to start them in Heropolis, start them in Colossae, and we're going to pump in the water to Laodicea. In fact, you can still see the aqueducts today. This is still there, and it goes for miles. And so what they thought was, if we can just pump in the water from Laodicea, we're going to have hot water. The problem was, it came in lukewarm. 
And so they were really not happy about that. And no matter how they tried to insulate it, you know, and you could see how much effort they tried to put, it would still come in lukewarm. And it was the same with Colossae. It was only five miles away. And they're just like, why is this water not coming in cold? It keeps coming in lukewarm. And then there's also reports that because of the lukewarm nature of the water, bacteria, you know, just infested the water, which made them sick. They literally were throwing up. And so they're like, this is awful. The only thing I can equate it to is I grew up in Seattle. We've grown up in the inland Northwest. And Seattle, uh, back in the day before they had uh, bottled water, you actually drank something from the tap. I know that sounds crazy to a lot of, a lot of us today, uh, but it was actually cool and refreshing. The thing that I didn't like doing was going to see my grandparents at least once a year because they lived in a place called Southern California and their water was nasty. I mean, this is all I remember their water being like, you know, every time I went down there, it just felt like it was this or it was brown or it was just, I was just like, this is gross. It's not hot. It's not cold. We could never get it no matter how long you had it on cold. It would just always be lukewarm. I am convinced that the water bottle craze started in Southern California because unlike the Laodiceans, they figured out we have plastic and we can bottle this and we can ship this around and we can make a lot of money. So that's just my, you know, um, conspiracy theory, you know, coming out for you right now. So what about the church then? Well, in addition to what we're about to read, there are two other mentions in our Bible of Laodicea. Both actually come from Paul, who's writing to the church uh, in Colossae, which now then makes sense because now we know it's only five miles away. In Colossians chapter one, verse, uh, 2, verse 1, it says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. So then he says in verse 15 of chapter four, please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So once again, prominent woman who's got lots of resource owns a home. The church is meeting in her home, which was most of the known world back then because they didn't have churches. They didn't, weren't able to build uh, similar to places like in China today. You'd have all these, you know, churches that would take places in homes. Now, One warning, just like Sardis, Jesus doesn't have a lot of nice things to say to Laodicea, the the church in Laodicea. Uh, And specifically, uh, he has nothing good. So just to want to prepare yourselves. And secondly, this is also probably the one that's most applicable to the church in America. So those are the two, Sardis and and, uh, Laodicea. So with that kind of preparing our hearts, let's see what Jesus has to say to this church. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the one, this is the message from the one who's the amen. Now that word is interesting, amen, from the one who is amen. When you and I say amen, it's usually at the end of a prayer and it literally means let it be or let it be so. But when Jesus is saying amen, the Hebrew word for amen is actually the same that's translated as truly, truly I say to you or amen, amen, I say to you. So what he's saying when he says amen is saying this is true. I am true, I am the true. And then he says, I am the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So he sets that up, and then these are the words that he has to say. I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. See, now this is starting to make a little sense because he's talking to the church that lives in the city, and all of these things are now gonna kind of resonate even more. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, which they're like, yep, we know what that's like, Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Just like the city didn't need any help from anybody else. They can take care of themselves. And do you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable, 
poor, blind, and naked. Remember how clothing was so important to the city. So I advise you to buy gold, which was the common currency in the banking in that area, from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich also by white garments instead of the black ones that they're used to buying from me so that you will not be shamed of your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. What were they known for? Their eye solution in that city. You know, and you will be able to see, I correct and discipline everyone I love so he wants to remind them, even though this is harsh words, I love you, and this is why I'm telling you this. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. And then he finishes this like he's finished the other six. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So yes, this applies to them, but this also applies to anyone that this applies to, which I think you're going to see applies to us as well. So let's dive in a little bit more. What in the world's going on? What Jesus is saying, here's the issue, is that this church, these people have a stagnant faith, and the reason it's stagnant is because they're so self-reliant. Why do I need God? I have everything I need. I have all the resources, money, medical side of things that I can get at my fingertips. And he says it, let me remind you again, I know all the things that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. This is what's making your faith stagnant. I wish you were one or the other. Now to be hot means to be on fire, to be passionate, uncompromising, committed to him and following him and becoming more like him. Now when I grew up, when I read a passage like that, it's hot or cold, meaning you're either all for me or you're all against me. But now that we understand that Colossae you know, brought in uh, cold water, that actually cold water has its uses as well. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus says, and if you give even a cup of cold water, see there's its usefulness, to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. But he tells them, he says, but since you're not cold, since you're not hot, I wish you were one of them. You're lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. So he's saying you have a lukewarm faith. And a lukewarm faith to Jesus means it lacks passion and usefulness, which now Jesus finds intolerable. He really, really realizes, like, you know, this is it. You are so indifferent. That's why he says later, you are so indifferent when it comes to your faith that he says he wants to spit us out of his mouth. Now, you're gonna love this picture. The Greek meaning for that, that, that phrase, spit you out of my mouth, is literally vomit violently, okay? Violent vomit. That's the, the kind of repulsion that he has. Do you remember the last time that you vomited? Do you remember the last time somebody else vomited that you were around and it was a little bit violent? It was a little bit gut-wrenching as you heard? You're not nodding. So let me show you a couple examples you know, on the screen. I am just kidding. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, oh, I love this church. Other of you guys are like, this church, I'm out. That was it. You're getting sick by me even talking about vomiting. You know, but uh, you know, anyway, I was this close, but somebody talked me out of it. So you are welcome. But what he's saying is that we're going through the motions. He goes, have your faith mean something. It mean anything. But we're indifferent. We're lukewarm. The question is, how do we know? How do you and I know when, if we're lukewarm or if we're indifferent? Here's one of the questions I want you to consider that could be an indicator. If Jesus were no longer to be part of your life, if he all of a sudden left, how long would it take for you to notice? Because we can go through the motions. 
we can come to church and we're just like kind of like dragging ourselves in and we're like, yep, here, check. We can even read our Bibles and check and we can do things for God and check and he can be like, you're just indifferent. Whether I'm in your life or not, I see no difference in my impact in your life or through your life. I wish you were one or the other. But since you're neither, understand that's the worst place to be. And so he's encouraging, he's challenging, and yes, he is correcting and rebuking. But remember, it's always out of love. Because he wants us to experience what it's like to connect to him at a deep and meaningful level. And then he goes on and he says, well, what's the cause of this for them? And I think you're going to see the correlation with us. The cause for them, he says, you say, this is causing their indifference. I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Now, as I told you, the city was famously self-sufficient. Unfortunately, the values of the city became the values of the church. And the city is supposed to be in the world, but there's supposed to be a difference between those from the world. So what is the difference in our church, in our lives, that's different from the world? Now, make sure you don't mishear me. There's nothing in the Bible that says money is wrong. Nothing. The love of money, the priority of money, the pursuit and its placement of resources, that's where we get into trouble. Because what Jesus is saying is that, what point do you actually depend on me? At what point am I involved in your faith? Or are you so self-reliant that you're so actually indifferent with me that you actually only come to me when I'm the last resort? And we talked a lot about this last week when it came to different trials and different things. So what Jesus is saying is that, yep, I've given you these resources. Awesome. But don't put your trust, your hope in those resources. Don't let your whole life be based on your plans and your wills because we live in a free country where you can shape a lot of that stuff. Have you sought me? My will, my plan, are you dependent on me? Do you, when do you go to me when you go through different, different seasons? And oftentimes, here's, let's be honest, this is what I do. I go to my resources, my wealth, my connections with other people. And that's not bad to do those things, but where's God in that process? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about materialistic self-reliance. That we are blind, poor, naked, miserable, because we were relying more on our resources than our Jesus, leading to spiritual poverty, leading to spiritual blindness, and leading to spiritual nakedness. The Laodiceans were like the emperor's new clothes, right? The, the guy who's been convinced, you've heard that fable and that story by the people around him wants the most expensive clothes, and they convince him that the clothes that they've created for him is the most expensive clothes and the best clothes out there, and what is it? Nothing. So in order for him not to feel embarrassed, he thinks, well, I guess I have to go along. I guess I'm not the one that's not seen because they're convincing me. So he pretends to put on these clothes and he parades around his whole kingdom and they're laughing at him because he's literally wearing nothing. See, in the eyes of God, when we don't put our trust and our reliance on him, the way he sees us is nothing when it comes to the clothes and the resources that we are wearing. What are we putting our trust into? That's why he says it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye, like for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is it's hard because there's such a temptation when we have been given resource to entrust ourselves to the resource and not entrust ourselves and our lives to God. Now, before you do what I do and say, well, Dan, I'm, I'm not rich. <laughs> What's Jesus talking about? Yeah, because we always compare up. 
right? My car compared to that person's car, I'm not rich. That person compared to that person, I'm not rich. But I hope you do realize that in the history of the world civilization that we're in the top 1% of the world that's ever lived, ever lived. And that's a blessing. I'm not hitting on that. I'm not negative on that. The question is, but where is the priority in that? And where does our faith fit in that when it comes to the resources that we have been given? Is he first in priority? Is he first in the resource? Is he first in our reliance on him? Or where does he fit in that? So he tells them this. And then he says the solution is to repent and rely on him, to turn to him. So he says, I advise you. So this is my advice to you. Buy gold from me. So they're buying gold. There's a bold gold for me, gold that's been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich, according to him. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. So this gold refined by fire represents spiritual riches obtained through trials. So it's our faith that actually gets tested, that gets molded, that gets shaped by the fire. And we talked a lot about trials last week, so I'm not gonna talk more about that. You can go back to last week. But what does our faith cost us? Because it's actually helpful when we actually have to grow and rely on Jesus and not just rely on ourselves and other people or the connections that we have. Or when we do rely on other people, that we're still relying on him first, that that's where we're growing in our connection and dependence on him. Secondly, white clothes always represents holiness, righteousness, and purity that only Jesus can provide. So what he's saying is that buy from me. I have paid for this. He died on the cross. And instead of us resorting to our good works, like our check boxes saying, well, God must be pleased with me because I live a moral life, a good life. God says, no, you're still dirty. You and I still are wearing filthy rags. No matter how we present ourselves on the outside, we still have sin in our lives. But praise God that he has paid for the sin, that he has risen from the dead, and that he gives us garments that we could never afford. These white garments represent purity and righteousness. Righteousness means right standing before God. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn that. We have to put our trust in him to receive that in our lives. Then he says, ointment. The ointment for eyes is seeing the world through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how many of you uh, wear is some type of glasses? Glasses of any kind? Okay, contacts. When I was a junior in high school, was the first time that I realized I needed glasses. And I didn't know until I went to the optometrist and they did that whole you know, cover up and well, how far can you see down? And, and then, they, then they do the test where they put you on that little thing that's like this and then they do one eye and then they do this thing. One, two. Three, four, five, six. And what they're doing is they're flipping it each time to say, clearer, 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 clearer. Which one's clearer? Which one's fuzzier? Which one's clearer? And you go through that, and then when they're done, they're like, okay, try these on. And I'll never forget, when I put those on, I was like, holy cow, there are so many more colors and detail in the world that I've never seen before. I was like, there's actually details on leaves instead of just kind of a blob, you know, of green from a certain distance. Uh, my coach made fun of me because uh, he's like, how long have you needed glasses? I don't know, but I can see the ball a lot clearly, more clearly on the basketball court than I could. And he just shook his head. You know, I just said, I just, I'm thankful for it, you know, and so uh, I get to wear, wear contacts for the first time. But this is the cool thing. What he is, Jesus is providing is when we depend on the Holy Spirit, you understand, he allows us to see things completely different than the rest of the world. And so the ointment that he's providing opens our eyes to the perspective of God. 
And so all of a sudden, you see issues in the world differently. You see people differently. You see circumstances differently because the Holy Spirit is guiding you. And when we're growing in dependence on him, he gives us that lens. He gives us the ointment that we can actually see the world through his perspective. And it's a gift that he wants to give to us instead of seeing the world through how the world is telling us through social media and through the news and through these other things what can be so discouraging and so off base and then all of a sudden you receive the lens that is given to us by Christ through the ointment that he provides and all of a sudden things that you see is different. And so you face trials differently. You face mourning and loss differently. Do you still mourn? Yes. But you mourn with hope. Why? Because you see the world differently. And there's something that you can look forward to in the midst of going through it all. Now, the issue is stagnant faith, self-reliance. The solution is to rely on Jesus' provision. And then he makes it clear, most important, he says these words, look, I stand at the door, I'm knocking. If you hear my voice, open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I wonder, if I were to ask you this, if you could have dinner with anyone who has ever existed in the history of the world, not named Jesus, who would you want to have dinner with? Who would you want to share a meal with? Who would you be excited and you'd be anticipating, you couldn't wait to have that dialogue and break bread and be able to have that kind of exchange over a several hours? Because in that day and age, it wasn't like what happens in my house in most nights where it's like a five minute meal and they wolf it down, they're off to the next thing. You know, in that culture, just like in places in Europe, you know, even today, they spend hours prepping, eating, hanging out. They're in each other's lives. And imagine if you got that wish granted that you could eat with anybody who's ever existed. And yet here's Jesus knocking on the door of our house and he's saying, I'm here. Will you let me in? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God of all creation, the Savior and our Lord is there saying, I want a deep, authentic relationship with you. That's the opportunity that he's providing. And he's a gentleman. He's not gonna barge his way in. He's telling the people in the church in Laodicea, these are churched people. Sometimes we read that and be like, well, he's talking to non-Christians. Of course, he's talking to those. Not That's not what he's talking to. He's talking to Christian people saying, you've forgotten to continue to fellowship with me. You've forgotten to connect with me. You've been really busy taking care of your own needs, looking out for your own self-interest, relying on your own faith and your own provision that you forgot about me. Allow me to come in every area of your real life and watch to see what I can do in your life. And, more, and what's crazy is that he calls us friends. He wants, to be, he wants to be our friend and connect in a deep and profound way. Now, how do we do that? Well, by listening that's what he says. I'm knocking. Are we listening? Inviting Jesus to every aspect of our real lives. And then he finishes by saying, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. This is crazy that one of the rewards Jesus said is coming that helps us to get through today is that we get to reign with Jesus forever. Sometimes I think we're just going to be subject to Jesus, and we are, but he's saying, no, you get to sit by me. We're gonna enjoy a fellowship meal for all eternity. We're gonna be able to hang out. We're gonna do things that you never even thought, imagined, or can't even imagine. We're gonna to get to do that forever. Think about what awaits. What awaits one day. Now, as it pertains to the specific church in Laodicea, here's what church history tells us. 
around the fourth or fifth century, this church completely changed and was one of the most reflective of Christ in that community, and it changed that community in the name of Jesus. In fact, we've gone through this entire series, and here's what we know, that it wasn't but a few hundred years later that this band of rebels, this cult, this, these groups of people that were persecuted and ostracized and murdered in different parts of that country, uh, in that part of the world, actually their effect on the world changed the world for him. And it wasn't from the top down. It wasn't for the right person being in the political office. It wasn't from the person and the right party that got into finally in power and made things right. It was the individuals who decided to say, I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm gonna become like him, which affected the church, which affects a neighborhood, which affects a city, which affects a state, which affects a nation. That's how change happens. It starts with us. Because oftentimes we can read through and go through a series like this the last seven weeks and be like, yeah, that church, that church, that church, and even look at our church and say, yeah, our church. But what about when we look internally? What about us? So I have a gift and a challenge for you. As you leave, you're gonna be handed one of these cards. And on this card is a letter from God to you. We've just read these, these letters, but God has a word he wants to say to you. Now, I've done this with our elders at Elder Retreats. We've done it at CR. I've done it with our staff. We've done it in men's group. And every time we've done it, it's been a powerful experience. But it's gonna take some time, some quietness. You're gonna need to probably set aside an hour. So here's my challenge. How important is your faith? Can you spend and spare an hour to hear from God? Because what, what we've done is we've put together exactly what Jesus did in these letters. So you're gonna start, you're gonna have a pad of paper next to you and it's gonna say, dear, and you're gonna write your name. Dear, in my case, Dan. And then that's gonna be an affirmation. So the first thing is you're gonna sit there quietly, ask God to tell you what he is proud of you for. And then it's gonna say, whatever he says, write it down. You'll find it hard to write down good things about yourself because you're not, most of the time we don't listen to God, but we are our biggest critic internally. That may be the first and hardest part. Ask God that and we get to write down what he's saying. And then the next part, there's the challenge. Ask God to tell you what you're holding back from him. And then he'll talk to you about correction, the consequences, the strength, and yes, the reward and the direction he wants to go you, take you from here. God has a letter he wants to write to you. And I would encourage you, it'll take you, if you an hour probably, you know, if some of you guys can do it in 30 minutes, but I would just say take as much time as you need and then share this with somebody else. So every single one of you is gonna get one of these things on your way out, and I'm so curious and so excited because God doesn't wanna just write to these churches, he wants to write to you. And he has some things he wants to encourage because I believe that's where we as a church become like who God has called us to become. Now, with that being said, I wanna close this day and I wanna close this series with something weirdly that has brought me encouragement. And that is, as I read through all of these and I visited these spots and I've gone through this series with you, um, I know how close these people were to actually when Jesus lived, right? We're talking a few decades. And Jesus is writing these letters to these people. But you ever notice that none of them got it all right? And that weirdly encouraged me to be like, we have hope. You know, like, I don't have it all right. And our church doesn't have it all right. And it's okay as long as we continue to try to be who God has called us to be, even in our imperfection. 
And so I'm like, oh, Jesus, you had some things to say there, and you have some things to say to us here at Valley of Real Life. And if you want to go one step further, you know, the Apostle Paul writes to seven other churches that are not mentioned in Revelation, and he has some things to write there. And there's some jacked up people in those churches. Just like us, you're jacked up. Congratulations. Me too. And we get to go on this journey of faith. Here's my concern, though, is I am noticing more and more and more in our Christian subculture today, this criticism of churches in general. And and, and churches should be criticized, don't mishear me, and held accountable if there's abuse that's taking place. Praise God for the revealing of what's taking place, if there's spiritual abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse or financial abuse, whatever that may be, that needs to come to service. The churches need to be held accountable. Amen. But I'm also noticing that that's gone two or three steps further through places like social media, and I see criticisms of this church and that church and this person and that person, and it's because all of us have an idea of what the ideal church should look like. All right, if I were to ask you, what should the perfect church look like? And you're going to write some things down, and guess what? Who doesn't measure up? Our church. That church down the road. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, that church, you know, isn't deep enough on their sermons. Well, this church doesn't, doesn't uh, uh, sing the right songs and the music is too loud. Well, that church, you know, cares more about buildings than about the poor. Well, this church doesn't care enough about missionary stuff. Well, that church cares more about those who are in need. This church, and the list goes on and on. And you're seeing this grow more and more and more in this criticism. Here's my concern with that, is when you start to take that posture, you either leave the church or you become a cynic, which both of which will actually lead to lukewarmness. And it's so much easier to poke holes. Like, let me give you a very real example. I do this every DNA. If I personally have not said or done something that has let you down yet, it's only because you haven't been here long enough. The time is coming, I promise. And if it's not me, it's gonna be one of our other pastors. And if it's not one of them, it's gonna be your small group leader. If it's not one of them, it's gonna be somebody you're in small group with. If it's not one of them, it's gonna be somebody that you actually walked into or somebody that you ran over in the parking lot because you were in a hurry. You know, whoever it may be, somebody's going to offend you. Somebody's gonna hurt and bother you. As followers of Jesus who don't measure up, haven't we seen the last seven weeks that none of them measure up to the ideal of what Jesus is asking? Can we lead and fight for relationship? with God at the center, knowing that I need as much grace and forgiveness as you do. And as imperfect people who are with an imperfect pastor, I am excited to continue this imperfect journey with you as we try to become the church that Jesus has called us to be. All the holes that you see in our church, (laughs) I can show you more. There's way more, you know, the way you see, because we're always trying, but here's the key, our posture. Are we trying to become more like Jesus? And are we trying to help others to be the same? The way we say it here, are we trying to be disciples who are making disciples? And are we committed as a church to try to reach the world for him one person at a time? I'm excited for these last seven weeks because I think it's opened my eyes to some things and I hope it's opened up yours. And I hope this time with God will also open up yours as well. And let's be committed to what he's gonna do over these next several weeks maybe months, maybe years, who knows how much God has for us while we're either on this side of eternity or before he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today and for this opportunity to be here and with these people. I pray you would lead, guide, and direct our steps. 
we just want to follow you. We're going to make mistakes, and we have, but we want to continue to own those things, Lord, and continue to correct us, continue to help us, continue to encourage us individually and as a church to be more like you. I pray for all the other churches in this valley. Lord, I pray for one. I pray for Sun Valley. I pray for East Point. I pray for Real Life Ministries. I pray, Father, for so many Valley Assembly and so many others who are just trying to do what you've called them to do also imperfectly. We just pray for the church in America that we would be reliant on you. Father, recognizing that the church is just made up of people. It's not a place we go to, but it's the people. So help us to be about you and about your people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey guys, as you leave, you're all gonna get one of those cards. So please take that time to be able to do so. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll see you next week.